Baby, welcome to it. It is the 7th of April, 2022. Yeah, good Lord. It's Thursday, that much I know. I'm Derek Hunter. This is the Derek Hunter Podcast. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, and all that good stuff. It only exists because of you. We've got a lot to get to today, a lot lot of ground to cover. And uh, we'll get to it as soon as I tell you about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. I really want to give you either a signed copy of Adam Carolla's book, in 50 Years Will All Be Chicks, or Dana Perino's book, And the Good News Is, autographed by both, guaranteed to be authentic. I got the Adam Carolla one myself, the Dana Perino one I uh, purchased through Premier Collectibles, both totally legit. Just go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast, sign up there, and that is where you enter. You just comment on the post itself. You'll see a whole bunch of posts there. Then there'll be one with a picture of two books. Comment on that one. Write anything you want in the comment section, as long as it involves you telling me which copy you want, which book you want, should your name be drawn. On Sunday afternoon, a name shall be drawn. A winner will be announced on the show on Monday, and that winner will get their book sent to them. So go there. It's only five bucks a month for this chance, and just to help out the show and be a part of an ever-growing community. Appreciate that. All right, let's, let's get this thing going. Oh, it's been an eventful morning for me. I've been thrown up on already. What have you been doing with your time, huh? Yeah, Bailey woke up and uh, she didn't eat. Let's tell you that I'm either a bad dad or a good dad. I made them dinner last night. And it was, you know, something that they would normally eat. Fish sticks and pizza rolls. I had a lot of stuff to do. So I was like, oh, this would be easy. And they'll eat it. Bailey is so finicky. Half the time she just picks at it. You have to, like literally put the food in her mouth i didn't have time to do that she didn't really eat so i said all right fine later on she, probably about nine o'clock i want a hot dog actually what she does is mom mommy says i can have a hot dog like i have it on pretty good authority that mommy didn't say anything because you've been sitting here for a while and mommy's in another room and uh so i said no you should have ate your dinner you had your chance you should have ate your dinner so she woke up this morning she said, I'm hungry. And I said, okay, well, we'll get you food in a minute. I didn't think anything of it. I just gave her some water and uh, was going to go downstairs in a bit and give her cereal when her sister woke up. And she ended up throwing up after, after probably like a half hour later. She's like, uh, my tummy hurts. And then she was throwing up the water on me. It's all just water. Now she seemed to be doing better after that because I gave her Cheerios and was feeding her Cheerios. She was a little wobbly, but it could be just because she didn't eat. I think it's probably because she didn't eat. I hope it is because they haven't really been around anybody to get sick. So hopefully that's all it is. I'll keep you posted as I know you're riveted by these tales of vomit from my house. But that was my morning in addition to getting ready for work and now being at work and doing work so i'll be uh, making sure that uh, there's no more vomiting at my house which is always a good policy except with a bunch of cats and two kids there's always going to be vomiting at your house anyway if you want to see some vomiting something worth vomiting over well laughing yourself hysterically into a fit of vomiting did you see what happened to joe biden yesterday how i'm embarrassed for him 
I mean, I'm not, I don't have much sympathy for Democrats in general. But watching Joe Biden sort of meander around going, anybody want to talk to me at an event was embarrassing. I felt bad for him. He's like the the guy in the nursing home on like family picnic day whose family doesn't show up. That's what Joe Biden was sort of wandering around as. Why? Not because nobody gave a damn that the president of the United States was there, although they didn't really give a damn. It was because Barack Obama was in the room. Barack Obama came back to the White House, they say, for the first time since leaving in 2017 because of the uh, anniversary of the signing and the passage and whatever of Obamacare. They wanted to celebrate that. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Remind everybody of all the wildly unpopular things another administration did. And then maybe by comparison, you won't seem as obnoxious. But no, it doesn't work out. As soon as Barack, what Barack Obama said is irrelevant. It's kind of funny. He whined about misinformation. That guy was awarded the lie of the year in 2013. He was awarded the lie of the year in 2013 by left-wing PolitiFact. What was the lie of the year in 2013? If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Those were the lies. That was the lie of the year. He had been telling that lie since 2009. It wasn't until 2013 that it was awarded lie of the year, that it was declared a lie, in fact, by PolitiFact. Now, how did that happen? Why would that happen? Well, in 2012, the end of 2012, Barack Obama ran for president for the last time. He ran for office for the last time. Term limited out, couldn't run again, at which point PolitiFact said, hey, we've got an opportunity here to, uh, I don't know, shave off just a little bit of credibility here by declaring what by then was an obvious lie to be a lie and to award it the lie of the year. Because Barack Obama will never face voters again. Now it's safe to point out that he was lying. Ironically, and I wrote about this in my book, like eight times or something like that, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a bunch, it was at least five times prior to declaring that to be the lie of the year. PolitiFact had declared that line to be varying degrees of true. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I wrote it all up. Oh, yeah, no, this is true. This, this, You can keep your doctor if you like your doctor. You can keep your plan. There's nothing in this law that would do this, that, and the other thing. And then the law is, is implemented, and boom, suddenly, 5 million people are losing their doctors, losing their plans. And PolitiFact had to go, huh. At some point, we're going to have to acknowledge this. Let's wait till after the election. Wait till after he beats Mitt Romney, and then we will. Uh, then we'll point it out. So that's why Barry was back there. That's what he was whining about: fake news, misinformation. Democrats are very, very concerned that you cannot separate the truth from BS, and therefore they want to do it for you. <laughs> there was some study the other day where uh, they're like, oh, uh, if you pay Fox viewers to watch CNN or MSNBC for 30 straight days, it hadn't been peer-reviewed yet. If you pay them to watch it for 30 straight days, they will start to uh, be less gullible, which is interest an interesting way to put it. They'll start believing the truth is another way that they, they put it in there. But what they really mean is they'll start thinking like a liberal. If you give them 30, if you pay them for 30 days straight of liberal propaganda, you will 
find that some people will start to believe liberal propaganda. It's Plato's cave all over again. If your whole life is chained to a cave and all you see is shadows cast on the wall, that's real. That's what life is. That's what other people, that's everything right there is those shadows cast on the wall. That's your world. If all you hear are left-wing lies, well, of course you're going to believe them. That's that's all you hear. There's nothing to counteract them. It might not feel right. It might seem odd for a while, but at a certain point, you'll start to buy into it. That's why the left does what they do. That's why they want to shut down talk radio. That's why they want to shut down Fox. That's why they want to shut down every conservative website out there. That's why they go after the advertisers. They can't beat us. In a debate, they can't beat us in a discussion. They need to silence us. They don't have the facts on their side. People confident in their their story don't try to silence the other side. They wait for the other side. All right, go ahead. Lay it out there. Uh-huh. All right, now it's my turn. Now the fun begins. That's what normal people do. Normal people aren't Democrats. So anyway, Barack Obama's back at the White House. The media is drooling over him. Oh, my God. You know, they you think they couldn't go any lower. They couldn't get any more embarrassing. Oh, sure they can. Sure they can. They do so on a regular basis. There wasn't a drool. The former president returning to the White House is worth a mention, I suppose, on the news. But no, it was as though they finally had somebody they could be proud of back in the White House. They're, They're all secretly embarrassed by Joe Biden. Yamish Alcinder. Yamish is the uh, moderator and anchor of Washington Week on PBS and the uh, Washington correspondent for NBC News. She's an embarrassment. She is, uh, the liberals fail up. They take care of their own. After the Obama event, she tweeted, President Obama had the room both laughing and captivated as he explained how he risked re-election to get the Affordable Care Act passed. President Biden follows by saying Obamacare was, in his view, the most consequential legislation since the creation of Medicare and Medicaid in 1965. Barack Obama gets a slobbering wet kiss, and Joe Biden goes, yeah, Joe was there too. That's you, Michelle Cinder, that's NBC News, that's PBS, that's your tax dollars at work. After the event... Not a single soul in that room wanted to talk to the president of the United States. You've probably seen this video by now. But Joe is kind of wandering around. He looks around. At one point, he kind of puts his arms up like, hey, anybody want to talk? And nobody wanted to talk to him. There was behind him a growing circle of sycophantic love toward Barack Obama. And literally not a single human being giving a damn about Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden is the current president of the United States. Everybody or almost everybody in that room works for the current president of the United States, and they had no interest in minding their boss. You would think that somebody would have stepped up. Ron Klain, the chief of staff, would have said, all right, I got to take one for the team. I got to go and talk to Joe or at least get him get him somewhere. You grab a couple of interns and say, come on, let's go and surround the president so he's not standing alone. You will not see in a crowded room picture, video, or anything of the President of the United States standing alone unless he's literally at the podium in the middle of giving a speech. Otherwise, people come up to him, especially at a reception like this, and talk to him, but they had no interest. And to make it even more pathetic, there was a second video. Poor Joe Biden 
again, this family didn't show up at, uh, at family day at the home. Standing there as Barack Obama is engulfed in people, including including Joe Biden's own vice president, Kamala Harris. She's she's like, wow, it's, it's like what I imagine a groupie was like when meeting Mick Jagger in 1973. She's all over. She's right next to him. Oh, no, no. Hey, no, I'm with him. Hey, we're together. We're friends. We, I know. I know him. Nobody wants to talk to her either, but she desperately wants to talk to him. She wants to be around him, which is weird because he's at the White House. You'd think that the president, the vice president, would get some some private time with the former president. Like, hey, you know, while you're here, why don't we just catch up or have lunch or something with a much smaller group? And that way you don't have to beclown yourself at the public reception trying to jump all over everybody to get close to the guy. Probably should have thought this one through. But in behind in that video behind Barack Obama, once Joe Biden realizes nobody wants to talk to him, he goes up to Barack Obama and tries to talk to Barack Obama. Barack Obama has no interest in talking to Joe Biden either. It's Barack, Obama's in his element. People are drooling over him. People are loving him. Like, oh my God, he's the you're the best. Oh, I know I am, aren't I? I'm like better than everybody else, right? Yes, yes, you are. Oh, it's awesome. Everybody here is awesome. And Joe Biden is sitting there going, Barack, Barack, trying to get the attention of the former president. And the former president doesn't even pretend to hear him. Doesn't even doesn't even give him the courtesy of a yeah, just a second, Joe. I gotta I'm seeing somebody I haven't seen in a while. No. It is straight up ignoring to the point that Joe Biden pathetically reaches out and puts his hand on Obama's shoulder to try and kind of nudge him like, hey, I'm I'm trying to talk to you and leaves his hand on there for a good know, seven seconds at least while saying Barack and Barack Obama still doesn't turn. A room full of people, none of whom want to talk to the president of the United States, all of them want to talk to the former president of the United States. Part of the reason that this White House had this event was because they wanted to hopefully get some of that popularity that Barack Obama still holds for some weird reason with Democrats. They love him. They love him. And thought, well, if we're associated with Obama even more, maybe some of that will rub off on us. Now, I don't understand that thought process. It doesn't make much sense. You're from the Obama-Biden administration. You can't get more associated with it than being the guy's vice president. People know that. They don't necessarily need the room. Nobody's sitting there going, well, this Joe Biden just seemed to come out of nowhere in 2020. Never heard of him before. And then, boom, there he is. Everybody knows that they're together. Nobody cares. Nobody likes Joe. Joe was the pill they had to swallow to beat Donald Trump. That was it. He ran as I'm the only one who can beat Donald Trump. And so they voted for him. Nobody said, God, I can't wait to get to vote for Joe Biden. I love Joe Biden. He's inspiring to me. Nobody's ever said, Jill doesn't even say that. But it was the saddest bit of, it was a pathetic display, to be honest with you. And I was embarrassed for Joe, sitting there watching him, desperately trying to find somebody to talk to him. And nobody wanted to talk to him. Even the Washington Post, we'll get to this piece in a second, 
Even the Washington Post, the picture that they ran in there. There's Barack Obama smiling, hey, to everybody. There's Kamala right behind him, almost like they're dating. Like, that's the kind of look on her face. And then there's Joe behind them both going, I'm president. Anybody want to talk to me? It's so sad. So deserving, though. So deserving. Joe is the Rodney Dangerfield of politicians, except Rodney Dangerfield was actually respected by people. <laughs> it was the shtick. Joe Biden is not. Joe Biden is not respected by his own employees. He is not respected by his own sycophantic media. They still... It's like, yeah, I got a new girlfriend, but I tell you, I miss Betty. I miss Betty. And you know that if Betty calls... You're going to dump whoever you're dating right now and go, yeah, no, Betty, I'm totally single. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Let's go to the sock hop or whatever the hell kids do. Probably not the sock hop. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not 80 years old. Hey, let's go to the sock hop. Put on your poodle skirt and I'll pick you up. Uh, but the media is embarrassing. I already told you about Yamish Alcindor, who's busy, by the way. Writing her memoirs at age, uh, how old is Yamiche? She's writing her memoirs. She was given a six-figure book deal to write her memoirs. At, uh, God, it's so pathetic. Yamiche Alcindor, how old is she? She is 35 years old. At 35 years old. Now, name one story that Yamiche Alcindor broke. Name one thing Yamiche Alcindor is known for, aside from sucking up to Democrats. I'll wait. You can, you can search online. Get back to me later, because that's all she's known for. But the publishing industry, so much of it is just a left-wing money laundering payoff scam. That's all it is. Here's good dog. Here's your reward. You get a book deal. Uh, and Dana Milbank <clears throat> at the Washington Post, you also can get a, uh, a column at the Washington Post if you're pathetic enough. He has a piece today. President Obama, your country needs you. Your country needs you. Does he know that Joe Biden is president of the United States? He does because he spends most of his column sucking up to Joe and pretending that Joe Biden is sane. But now he can no longer pretend, or at least he's seizing this opportunity. He recognizes that his audience would have a very short memory and would not hold against him sucking up to Barack Obama because even people who kiss Joe Biden's butt don't particularly like Joe Biden. Said uh, retirement has been good to Barack Obama. He's the 44th president returned uh, uh, the 44th president returned to the president uh, to the White House Tuesday for the first time since he left office 5 years ago. Fit and vigorous. He's married, dude. Sorry. Fit and vigorous. If a bit grayer and more wrinkly, he noted that the return to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue meant, quote, I have to wear a tie, which I very rarely do these days, end quote. You can't be embarrassed for these people because they'll find a way to debase themselves even further. Every time you go, that's embarrassing, they go, no, 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 no that's not embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Obama has been living his best life, even making a podcast and writing a book with Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Quote, I'm a private citizen now, he reminded everybody. Packed a room packed with staffers and legislators who served during his presidency. And though he retains, quote, more than a passing interest 
In the course of our democracy, he said, quote, I'm outside the arena. And therein lies the problem. Barack Obama, your country needs you. Democracy is on the ropes. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment for the ship of state, and no one is better able to help the cause than Obama. Imagine being the president of the United States and reading this thing, going, I'm president. How? I'm in charge. Democrats, they lie, but they try to convince the public that, oh my goodness, the uh, democracy is at risk. Every, you heard Nancy Pelosi last week going, well, I fear for de- democracy will be over if Republicans win the election. I'm not sure how somebody winning an election is the end of democracy, but Democrats are never going to ask her about what that means because it doesn't make any sense. So they just ignore it. But they actually control everything right now. But democracy is in peril. Now, why is democracy in peril in these people's minds? Well, it's because Trump, because Republicans, because this, that, and the other thing. It can't possibly be. They won't even entertain this idea, but this is really what it is, if it is in peril at all, or what, what, what set them off anyway. Democracy is not in peril. But what set them off is they have complete control and the American public are recoiling in horror at the things they're doing. That's it. The vast majority, not even by a little anymore, but uh, the vast majority of the American public disapproving of what Democrats are doing is what they view as a threat to democracy. They need people to buy into their shtick. They need people to follow them. And actually, they don't really even care. It's much easier to get done what they want. They're not risking losing their power if people follow what they want. But they're terrified of losing their power. They're not going to stop. If they didn't want to lose their power, if they really cared what the public thought, they would look at it and go, you know what? This is a wildly unpopular thing we're trying to do. We should do something else. The American public don't want this. But no, they look at it and go, the American public needs this, whether they want it or not. Obamacare, everybody needs this. Everybody in the country needs a health insurance plan with a $10,000 deductible. What? Why? Well, just because. Well, that's a lot of money. You pretty much have to be run over by a bus twice to get to that. Well, you know, but if you are run over by a bus twice, you've got it. Just shut up. This is what's good for you. This is We know what's best for you. We're Democrats. And you watch that stuff and you go, this is, uh, this is why you're unpopular. And this is why, this is what they say is the reason that democracy is in peril. So they want to bring Obama back. Obama's outside the arena phrasing was an inversion of the immoral, immortal Man in the Arena speech given in 1910 by former President Theodore Roosevelt, whose portrait hangs on the wall in the East Room where Obama spoke. See, Obama just says what is common sense, what's common parlance, and the media dutifully, the sycophantic media dutifully runs to their computers. Where does this quote come from? Where does it, I guarantee you that's not the first time it was ever uttered, but it was because the picture's on the wall, and they thought, oh, this will be perfect. That's why Obama said it. He was obviously thinking of Theodore Roosevelt. I doubt. 
I doubt Obama's ever known anything about Theodore Roosevelt in that kind of detail. But it doesn't matter. He's the smartest man to ever serve as president of the United States, and they sycophantically line up to pucker and kiss his derriere. Quote, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, said Roosevelt, who left the White House but not politics, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives, uh, who errs, who comes up short again and again, but who does actually strive to do the deeds. End quote. America desperately needs, this is Dana Milbank again, needs Obama in the arena. Although not necessarily in the Biden White House. The 60-year-old former president's hour in the East Room brought back the memories of his once-in-a-generation talent and inevitably invited comparisons to his less character, uh, charismatic and much older successor. Biden still seems to be playing Obama's understudy. <laughs> Barack Obama isn't coming back into politics. He'll take the power, he'll take the influence, but he's making money hand over fist. I love the way Dana Milbank glosses over this man of the people, why he, he's even done a podcast, why he wrote a book with Bruce Springsteen, as, you know, your every average uh, average trucker would do. No, no, the average trucker wouldn't be able to get within a country mile of Bruce Springsteen because he would never stand for it. Bruce Springsteen employs somebody to rip the sleeves off of his denim jackets so he can appear rustic as he helicopters from one side of his property to another. But Barack Obama's got a $100 million deal from Netflix. He's got a what is a $60 million book deal. He's got to write this part two of his memoirs. He's already written part one of his memoirs, and it's already the third version of his memoirs that he's written, and he's only 60. Theoretically, he's got another 20, 30 years in him. He could get 15, 16 more memoirs out of his life. He's not going to give a damn. Besides, there's a very, very important reason that Barack Obama doesn't want to help Joe Biden become successful. If Joe Biden is successful, then by comparison, Barack Obama looks even worse than he already does. His legacy largely has been wiped away by Donald Trump because his legacy was ill-gotten gains, to put it mildly. Most of what he did was through executive order because he couldn't legislate. He wouldn't even talk with Republicans and doing that isn't really a good way to get things done. So there was nothing major after Obamacare, nothing important that Democrats prioritized that couldn't be undone with the stroke of that magic pen. He doesn't want to be surpassed by Joe Biden in accomplishments. This would require him to care more about his version of what the country should be like than about his own legacy. And Barack Obama is nothing if not a narcissist. That's why you see these stories now about Hunter. You see these stories now about, hey, what about... uh, What about Joe? Is he the big guy? They're not being written yet, but I guarantee you they're getting readied. If the media needs to get rid of Joe Biden to save the Democratic Party, they will. And Barack Obama will order the hit like a mob boss. He'll give the okay. If you watch that footage of Joe Biden sort of desperately trying to get Barack Obama's attention... It's a lot like 
the guy in the the mob who's on the outs with the Don trying to suck up to the Don and the Don having nothing to do with that. Except for in this case, the the Don is the former president of the United States and the guy trying to suck up to him is the current president of the United States. He's putting Joe Biden on notice that you either shape up or get ready to ship out. So everybody knows who that big guy is who's getting 10%. Every, the, the rest of the emails, spell it out. Don't talk to Joe. Don't mention Joe's name in writing anywhere. Don't do that. As, uh, then we'll get caught. We'll have a paper trail. It's pretty unambiguous in that email. Pretty easy to validate that email, to verify it. They haven't. Why? They haven't been given the order to. Think of it as the warning shot being fired over this guy's head. Do you think Merrick Garland is loyal to Joe Biden? Joe Biden picked him because Barack Obama nominated him for Supreme Court. And he didn't get on. So Joe Biden picked him. He's Obama's guy. If those indictments come down, it'll be because of Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is the trigger man for Obama's sway over Joe Biden. And the media knows it. They all know it. They're all just waiting. It's fun to watch. Well, we've got uh, Barry running around the White House and the Washington Post drooling over him. And Dana Milbank really just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. It's amazing. First of all, can I just say that Democrats have the worst memory? They put they put reality aside for what they want, what they dream, what they hope to be. They do it. You know, you see, they do it in that in uh, in, in gender issues, right? They do that on gender issues. Like, well, no, no, no. Well, that's a that's a mighty fine penis you got there, ma'am. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. There you go. Wow, you just gave birth, sir. Are you on birthing person leave? Actually, that's Mayor Pete. But they forget about Barack Obama's wild unpopularity. Uh, Let's just say he's not a super spreader when it comes to popularity. Well, by the way, was it two weeks ago Barack Obama announced that he had uh, COVID-19? Had COVID-19? Two or three weeks ago, whatever it was. he Michelle somehow miraculously uh, avoided it because they probably miraculously avoid each other most of the time. When you have that many houses, how could you not avoid somebody? But there he was at this event, no mask, no masks in the room, nobody gives a damn. Like, oh, well, he'd already had it. Maybe, maybe, but we've been told that that doesn't really matter. We've been told all sorts of things that when the Democrats have a chance to demonstrate how it is that they truly believe what they've been saying, they opt for the opposite direction. Have you noticed that? Just kind of weird. Anyway, Barack Obama could have been at a super spreader event yesterday. Joe Biden could have been at a super spreader. Maybe everybody was staying away from Joe because they didn't want to get him sick. They didn't want to risk getting him sick. No, they don't like him. But it could be maybe three people in that room thought, well, the sniffles I got are probably just sniffles, but I'll stay away from the the incredibly old senile man. I don't want to get that. But Barack Obama, back to Barack Obama, as Dana Milbank at the Washington Post goes, please, please, please come back into the arena. They forget that he's wildly unpopular. 
Barack Obama campaigned for name somebody Barack Obama actively campaigned for who won in a normal campaign circumstance. 2020 doesn't really count. There is nobody at the end of his piece. Dana Milbank says Obama hasn't been entirely silent. He stumped in Virginia for Terry McAuliffe and spoke to House Democrats, for example. Yeah, well, House Democrats are about to have their rear ends handed to them. And Terry McAuliffe lost lost a race he should have won all terry mcauliffe had to do was say kids shouldn't be told that they're racists or victims of racism kids should be kids and he couldn't do it he had to bow down to the left barack obama comes riding in on his trusty steed and nothing the only reason you know who scott brown is and the only reason scott brown was a united states senator for two years was because Barack Obama could not drag somebody named, I think her name was Martha Coakley, across the finish line in Massachusetts. Think about the people that in the special elections when Barack Obama was president, that he went out there and he worked as hard as he was willing to work for. He would go in and give speeches. And they thought that was enough. His handlers thought that was enough. Media thought that was enough. Well... Here comes Barack Obama. Everybody stand back. Look out. Holy Frank to Nana. Here he is. Now we've got this sucker in the bag. And you lost. They lost. They forget the lost part because they remember Barack Obama's popular part. But it's not. If you remember, is this going to be a good analogy? I don't know. Remember the movie Can't Buy Me Love, Patrick Dempsey, and I don't know. I think the girl in that movie might have had a drug issue or something. I don't, it doesn't matter. But in that movie, the girl in the movie was wildly popular and Patrick Dempsey was a nerd. And he paid her a thousand bucks because she ruined a, or one of her mom's suede dresses or something at a party and needed to replace it because the dress was a thousand bucks or to get it cleaned was a thousand, whatever it was. And uh, she needed the money. So he paid her for like one month of pretending that they were dating so that he could become popular by proxy. And it worked. His popularity was a bit of a jackass after the popularity went to his head. It's worth it. It's an 80s movie that's worth watching. But uh, he turned into a bit of a jackass. But he got that. He, of course, learned his lesson at the end. They ride off into the sunset on a riding lawnmower. But up until that moment, he surpassed her in popularity. And then she ruined him nuked him, destroyed him by pointing out that she was paid to be her, his, pretend to be his girlfriend, which I'm not really sure is the best way to go, but whatever. It's a movie. It worked. The Democratic establishment, the Democrat machine seems to think they can do the same thing with Barack Obama. If they could just get him out on the campaign trail, people will flock to the Democrats. That's the thing. That's the crux of this Washington Post piece. We need you out there, Barry, Soretto, Soweto, whatever it was. Please come back to the fray. We need you. You're the only one. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. The problem is people love Barack Obama. They don't love what Barack Obama did. They don't love what Barack Obama does. It is very bizarre. It is like it would be like if O.J. Simpson were still beloved. You know, O.J. Simpson, a lot of people had really warm feelings for for uh, for O.J. Simpson. And then he went and cut his ex-wife and her head's 
her friend's head off. You know, like that kind of soured the uh, relationship, the love. But imagine it, maybe probably that's a little bit extreme. But, you know, okay, the Houston Astros, when they cheated to win the World Series, right? Now people look at the Houston Astros cheating to win the World Series going, oh, what a bunch of cheaters, what a bunch of jerks. But it would be like as if they were still beloved, they just made a mistake. It's just one of those tragic, tragic mistakes. Anybody could have made it. Nothing personal. Sorry about that, and we'll let it slide. Barack Obama is beloved and wildly unpopular at the same time. Obamacare still it has got majority support in concept because most people don't know what it actually did and they don't recognize that the $2,500 in savings they were promised never actually materialized. It was actually about $2,500 or more in premium increases, not to mention the significant spiking of deductibles and out-of-pocket costs and all of that. They don't put those two things together. They just think, well, it's better than what it was before when, in fact, it is not. If it were better, if it were still good, then they wouldn't need to fix it, right? Would they? But they don't seem to think these leftists can't accept, can't grasp the fact that what Barack Obama is and what Barack Obama advocates or who Barack Obama is and what he advocates are two different things. So I hope to God he takes up Dana Milbank on his offer and says, yes, I shall hit the campaign trail endlessly. You know why? Because the people who then go out to say, well, there's Barack Obama going to be speaking at a campaign rally for somebody so-and-so who's running for Senate. I'm going to go to hear Barack Obama. And people go and they just can say, I was there. I, I saw Barack Obama give a speech in person. Ooh, la-ti-da. And then they listen to what the candidates say. They listen to what the other people who speak that day say. Because you can't just show up. I'm going to go hear Barry speak and then go. There are security protocols. Former presidents get Secret Service details for the rest of their lives. It's not as stringent as current presidents, but it's still pretty stringent. You can't walk into an event, no big deal. You kind of can't leave until the president leaves, the former president leaves for security purposes. It's a commitment to go to one of these events. You will have to listen to the other speakers. The other speakers will be every bit as bat excrement crazy as Democrats are. They will campaign on the idea that gender is a social construct. And boy, howdy, you're problematic if you don't want teachers talking to children about sex and gender. It's somehow you're a problem. And you go, what? How the hell is that? And yes, talking about grooming children is bad. If you look over at the UK, by the way, there was a big grooming scandal a couple of years ago. They say they call them uh, what are they? They call them Asian men. They're Middle Eastern men. They're from Pakistan mostly, but they, for some, for geographic purposes, it's technically Asia. So the you the British press has always called Pakistani Muslim men Asians. So they're Asian grooming gangs is what they're called in the UK. When realistically, they're, they were radical Muslim grooming gangs. The UK has a, a big problem with the with colonial. They, they have this guilt that only Western countries are riddled with about their colonialism days. 
Most of France has the same thing. They've had colonies around the world, and they go, oh, no, we we need colonialism is bad, according to the left. We'll pull out. We won't do any more colonialism, pinky swear. Sorry about that. And to make up for colonialism of the past, we shall forever allow people of those former colonies, of ours, they could come in and go in, in our, as they please in our country. They're basically, we'll grant you citizenship, even though you, we now have no control over your country. It's incredibly stupid, and it allows really, really bad elements to come into the country. In the UK, I think his name is uh, Ayman Chatteroy or something like that. The uh, imam who is a vocal advocate for terrorism, fan of al-Qaeda, fan of ISIS, and the UK has put him in jail for inciting terrorism in the past, but they can't just deport him because why because he's a citizen because of their stupid colonialism rules so you get all these pakistani guys coming over and they bring their culture with them their culture quite frankly you're not allowed to say this but it's not it's not the same as the culture in the uk the attitude towards children child brides is different in the third world not sca- it's scandalous, I suppose, to say, but it's not inaccurate to say. And it's not said, you know, you're not allowed to say, well, you can't judge any. Remember when Donald Trump talked about S-hole countries and all the people who are coming here from S-hole countries and what did the left do? Oh, my God. He said, there are no S-hole countries. There's none. There's none. There's none. Really? Because there's a whole lot of places where people are dying right now. I would say that most of them, most of the rest of the world is a bunch of S-hole countries. But that's just me. I think where... Like in Afghanistan, where you can buy a six-year-old for a couple of thousand dollars, a six-year-old girl, to become your future bride because the family's broke and can't afford bread. So for a a few grand, you can buy that six-year-old, literally buy buy her. That's kind of a a telltale sign of an asshole country, in my mind. It's just me. Where you can honor kill somebody because your, your sister showed ankle. And somebody saw it, and she disgraced the family. If you can kill a family member, a woman, I thought left cared about women, but they don't anymore because they don't even know what a woman is. Um, That's kind of an asshole country, to my mind. Call me old-fashioned, call me crazy, but I don't have many lines in life, but that would be one of them. And so the UK had this problem of these Pakistani Muslim men coming into the country and grooming young girls, English girls, for sex, and they ended up molesting them. Now, grooming is, I don't want to go into too graphic a detail, but it is uh, conditioning people, in this case, in most cases, young girls, for uh, sex, conditioning them to accept it, to be used to it, to not feel that it's wrong, to then definitely not go and tell their family or anybody else, to keep it quiet. You groom them to be your sex toys, essentially. It's disgusting, but it's it's common in various parts of the world that uh, you're not allowed to point out. You know, not, Our troops in Afghanistan, for example, oftentimes would catch and were ordered by the brass, and this is part of why we failed over there, were ordered by the brass. So you catch uh, some cleric or some tribal elder or something having a 10-year-old boy tied up in their bed, clearly violating them in disgusting ways and you can't do anything about it because well that's their culture it's weird women you can't you got to remain a virgin until you're married 
Men have to remain a virgin till they're married, but somehow sex with underage boys as sex slaves is okay. Again, I would say that's an asshole country. That's just me. I'm old-fashioned that way. But the uh, grooming gangs in the UK, they caught one, they broke up one, and there were literally more than 100 girls who've come forward and said, yes, I was affected by this. I was molested by these men. I was groomed by these men, these perverted men. And the UK press tried to cover it up. They used the euphemism Asian men, which it's not what you think of when you think of Asian men at all. And the United States press barely covered it. You have to do some serious looking to find stories on these grooming gangs in the UK. People pointing them out, saying, hey, these people are engaged in grooming by talking to kindergartners about there is no gender. You can be anything you want. Genitals don't matter. And oh, by the way, here's me and my partner paddleboarding. And here we are snuggling. And it's perfectly normal to a kindergartner. I don't care. You don't you don't talk to I don't want to see. A, I don't want my kids to get pictures of here's me and my wife from their male teacher making out, swapping, spit. No. Leave the kids alone. So you point out for effect that this is like grooming activity and the left goes absolutely crazy. There are at least 15 pieces today about how those evil Republicans are using the term grooming as a way. It's just really just homophobia. It's a return of homophobia. It's a return of the right's old homophobia. They can't defend it any other way. They won't defend it any other way. They're not interested in defending it any other way. They just have to smear the people who are saying, you know what, I don't want you talking to my kids about your sex life. I don't want you talking to my kids about how you believe that there are infinite number of genders and every one of them is valid, all right? I don't want you talking about the birds and the bees. I don't want you talking to my kindergartner about sex at all, at all. The school system out in Portland, Oregon is now upset because they have been exposed, the Salem-Kaiser school system. They have been exposed in the last couple of days as issuing new directives that parents are not to be told if their child is transitioning, if their child is transgender. You can change the name at school and the pronouns and the gender and everything, and all that has to be kept confidential, they say, which includes keeping it from the parents. And oh, by the way, if there are overnight field trips... Sleeping arrangements are based on the uh, proposed or declared gender, even amongst the staff. And keep that from parents. Well, it's not being kept from parents anymore. The school district is upset. If you are doing something that you'd be wildly upset if the world found out you were doing it, you probably shouldn't be doing it in the first place, right? So leftists going, all these evil Republicans... All we're doing is exposing what you're doing. Why are you upset by that? Because you know it's wrong. Deep down, some part of you knows it's wrong. It's not all doom and gloom, though, ladies and gentlemen. If you push back properly, things you can win. We saw that with the cyclists this week. He said, we're not going to, the women cyclists, we're not going to 
compete against this man. So we'll boycott and you can just have a dude riding a bike. And then the, the cycling world had to go, oh, wait, wait, no, 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 we won't have this trans woman right in there because he's still registered as a man. Well, I thought it didn't matter what you registered as. My God, he's still a man physically. And then you have this story from the UK, the UK Daily Mail. A top BBC executive intervened to reinstate the word women after a backlash against a journalist who substituted it for the phrase assigned female at birth. <laughs> Rorty Talfan Davies, the BBC director of Nations, reportedly asked for women to be added back to a March 26th feature on endometriosis. An online article raising awareness of the condition came under fire for language which critics said obscured data on this already misunderstood and overlooked women's health issue. The backlash was led by best-selling pregnancy author Millie Hill on Twitter, and after hundreds of complaints, the article was changed to state that endometriosis is a condition that affects one in ten women of any age in the UK. <coughs> Sanity can prevail it just has to be beaten in not physically not literally but figuratively has to be beaten into the heads of these moronic leftists millie from somerset faced a furious backlash in 2020 after challenging the use of the term birthing people while speaking about obstetric violence medical interventions performed during childbirth without a woman's consent Nikki Aiken, conservative member of parliament, uh, also weighed in, stating that she was born with, not assigned her gender. This is how you do it, ladies and gentlemen. This is how you do it. You can go ahead and play your game. We're not going to patronize your store. We're not going to patronize your product. And suddenly, wait a second, enough people go, wait a second. We, we can't ignore this. Or we're not going to participate in your race you want to have a boy swim against the girls go ahead we're going to start a new league for these same girls these same women that is explicitly exclusive of boys because we don't want to otherize girls we don't want to uh, marginalize oh the marginalized we don't want to marginalize girls the left won't know what to do with themselves oh they'll spew hate monger and everything else but Ultimately, they'll have to cave because history and reality is not on their side. We've got uh, it was a Morning Joe this morning. Now that I have some context, Morning Joe this morning. Jamie Harrison, who is the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, failed candidate for United States Senate. Liberals fail up. He was a black man, so they said, "Well, all right, let's make him there." We need to, we need to pretend he's been a wildly unpopular DNC chairman. Hasn't been super successful at raising money because nobody knows who the hell he is. And he's a, all he is is a failed candidate. You need some kind of cachet. You need some kind of connection. He doesn't have it. He's trying to make a name for himself because the way to make a name for yourself is, with the Democrats is to be a complete jackass. That works. Works beautifully with Democrats. Now, the bigger, whinier you are toward Republicans, the better your name recognition, the better, more successful, more beloved you are to the Democrats. So he's on Morning Joe this morning, and he's talking about Tom Cotton, senator from Oklahoma, who is one of the people who was asking about, hey, uh, all this, do you let a lot of child molesters off pretty easily there, Katanji Brown-Jackson? Why? Oh, how dare you ask that? How dare you ask that? Why can't you be more like Mitt Romney? Nobody wants to be more like Mitt Romney. 
But uh, in the name of civility, the people who decry the uncivil tone of Donald Trump. Oh, it's so bad. It's so awful. He went on to describe Senator Cotton as a maggot-infested man. Here he is doing just that. It shows you who this little uh, maggot-infested man is. Uh, he does not deserve to have that pen. He doesn't deserve to be in the United States Senate representing the good people of Arkansas. He does not deserve to do this. He does not deserve to do that. Uh, well, the people decided they didn't want you anywhere near the United States Senate there, Jamie. A maggot-infested man. What happened to civility? All these Republicans, these freaking Nazis, they're so uncivil. These monsters, these people who hate women, who hate blacks, who hate Hispanics, they're not... not oh, really? How dare they not be civil? Hmm. All we do is point out what you're doing. The similarities between... Democrats and what Democrats are advocating and the grooming of children for sexual purposes are pretty, pretty close, right? Pretty close. Then you have this story from Fox News. This was published in 2021, but it's relevant to today. They say, where do they come up with these horrible ideas? Headline, San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus Faces Backlash for We're Coming for Your Children video. Huh? The San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is facing a wave of backlash after offering up what it described as ironic humor uh, fears surrounding uh, about fears surrounding children and the gay agenda. The backlash came after the chorus posted a video in which members sang about indoctrinating children into being more concerned about fairness and justice. Quote, you think you what uh, you'll think that you'll be corrupt. Uh, good Lord. You think that we'll be corrupt? We, we, that, you think that we'll corrupt your kids? There you go. If our agenda goes unchecked, funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you'll barely notice it. You can keep them from disco. Warn about San Francisco. We'll make them wear pleated pants. We don't care. We'll convert your children will make them tolerant and fair. We'll convert your children. Someone's got to teach them not to hate. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. We're coming for them. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. There's the chorus for it. Why would anybody think this? Now, they say, of course, it's humor. And they released a statement saying, no, 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 no. We would never. We did not. And how dare we? And so on and so forth. But uh, no. Take them at their word. I don't think you can convert somebody to being gay, but I think you can confuse them to the point that you really screw up their lives. Make them make decisions. And when you've got doctors and hospitals and an entire political party saying the second you dare, dare think, I'm, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe as soon as you express any kind of confusion, you'll pounce on it like a cat and a mouse then maybe, just maybe, sure you don't want to be around those people. You don't want those people around your kids. You don't want them in positions of trust with your children. You shouldn't want them in positions of trust with their children. But the left is all very, very, very upset that the right is using the term groomers. They can use the term Nazi. They can use any term they want. It doesn't matter. You're, uh, you're women killers. You're trying to kill women. You hate women. 
But deep down, Democrats wouldn't be this upset if they didn't know that deep down some part of them knows that it's wrong. What they're doing is wrong. Talking to kindergartners is wrong. There's results. The American people are on our side. It won't ever be portrayed that way by the media. But you can't be dissuaded by it. All the slings and arrows. You're a thisophobe and a thatophobe. No. The latest example that the American people are on our side is up in liberal Wisconsin. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Republican-backed candidates win all three seats in nonpartisan Waukesha school board election. Yeah. This is where you start. This is where you begin at the local level. In a nonpartisan race that clearly became a party affair, three candidates emerged as winners in the Waukesha school board race, marking a victory for conservatives. Carrie Kozlowski, Mark Borinsky, and Markel Moore got the most votes in a field of six candidates for the three open seats on the board, earning three-year terms. Sarah Harrison finished fourth, several hundred votes behind Moore, and incumbents William Bumgart and Greg Dietz finished fifth and sixth, respectively. The six candidates had advanced from what was originally a field of eight. Voting was heavy, though the percentage of voter turnout for the different jurisdictions wasn't immediately available. The partisan nature of this race, in which Bork, uh, Borski, Borowski, Kozlowski, and Moore were each endorsed uh, and whose campaigns were financially supported by the Republican Party of Waukesha, became a focal point in three, mo- in three months fi- following the January candidate filing deadline. Following the primary incumbents, Baumgart and Dietz, and newcomer Harrison criticized those candidates for campaigning on national Republican talking points, particularly teaching of critical race theory in schools. We had another opportunity, another referendum, if you will, on CRT being indoctrinated into our students in schools. And they all lost, all three of them lost. But the Republican-backed candidates argued their concerns were about failing academic performance in local schools and countered that if local school boards had lagged under a liberal bias out of, tu- of out-of-touch parents' concerns. Yes, true. Regardless, the result was that the three unendorsed candidates announced they were running as a slate of candidates in uniform opposition to the Republican-backed candidates. See? It was a clear, unambiguous choice. Do you want CRT or do you not want CRT? Which is amazing to me, considering a year ago at this time, what were we arguing? The left was arguing CRT is not in schools at all. Don't worry. What are you talking about? It's not anywhere near schools. Stop with this stuff. It's bogus. It's a straw man. Then why are you so upset at the prospect of CRT not being taught in schools? Why does that bother you so much? If you're sitting there going, it's not taught in schools, it doesn't matter. Well, if you want to ban unicorns, go ahead and ban unicorns. You know why? Because unicorns aren't real. Sorry, kids, but unicorns aren't real. So if you want to ban them, I don't give a damn. You want to ban people who are 78 feet tall? Call them monsters and call for their... It's fine. They don't exist, so you can go ahead and do that if that's what you want to do. But CRT is being deployed in schools. Children are being taught. They're being, it's being used. It is a tool. 
in schools to teach white kids that they're evil and teach off-white kids, except Asians because they don't count, that they are oppressed and are never going to get ahead. It's disgusting. And it's telling that the, the left, remember, stop Asian hate. I mean, except for the fact that too many of them are making it, uh, making their way to schools, to the good schools. We can't allow them to make their way to the good schools. Well, the schools, when parents have a say, are pushing back. The parents are saying, hell no, stop this. Not interested. Knock it off. And they're electing Republicans. They're electing conservatives in areas where they don't vote for Republicans, in areas where Republicans don't win elections. They're winning. We're winning everywhere, and it doesn't get covered in the media because they don't want the world to know that you can push back and you can fight back against this. They don't want the people to know that they can push back and that they can defeat this garbage. They don't want it. They're scared to death. They're terrified of it. So spread the word. Go to your social media accounts. Spread the word that this is happening. Waukesha. Waukesha, for God's sakes. Waukesha in uh, Wisconsin. Now, Waukesha is W-A-U-K-E-S-H-A. You can search it up. If you just put in Waukesha school elections, you'll find the story from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Let the people know that you made, that a difference can be made, that sanity can prevail if you keep fighting. That's what terrifies Democrats the most. That's what they're afraid of, is that we're going to keep fighting because they lose every single time we do that. I mean, I'll just offer up a, a nice deal to Democrats. Stop acting like you're trying to groom children to uh, sexual deviance or sex acts or anything, and we'll stop calling you groomers. Is that fair? I think that's a fair trade. Meanwhile, the left is busy ripping themselves. They're trying to con the country into voting for them, and then they're busy ripping themselves off. you got Joe Biden making God knows how many millions of dollars he's made through his crack-addicted son, they're now slowly kind of taking a vague interest in that, mostly to put Biden on notice. But so many other parts of the institutional left are guilty of fraud and uh, unbelievable amounts of grifting. It's unbelievable. The shamelessness of some people. I just don't get it. This story from the other day, Black Lives Matter. Who would have thought that the Black Lives Matter would turn out to be a fraud organization? run by communists, avowed communists, with uh, tens of millions of dollars at their disposal. Guess what? Yeah. New York Post. Black Lives Matter bought a swanky Southern California home for nearly $6 million using donation cash, according to a report Monday. Three leaders of the social justice movement, Patrice Colliers, Alicia Garza, and Melina Abdullah, recorded a video last June outside the secretly bought home while marking the first anniversary of George Floyd's murder, New York Magazine reported. Because you got to have a party when uh, St. George Floyd was martyred when he died of an overdose. Uh, Colliers at the time said she was weeks removed from being in survival mode after the Post's exclusive reporting in April revealed her purchase of four high-end U.S. homes for $3.2 million. 
Being a social justice warrior communist pays, ladies and gentlemen. It pays. Quote, it's because we're powerful, because we are winning, Colliers said of what she characterized as right-wing media attacks. Quote, it's because we are threatening the establishment. We are threatening white supremacy. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it exactly. That's it exactly. You're a threat to white supremacy. You're such a hero that you had to have four houses. It's just one of these three. Four houses for one of the three. What are the others up to? Who knows? Maybe they're better at hiding their stuff than Patrice is. But Colliers and her colleagues didn't reveal any details of the upscale home seen behind them in the video. A 6,500 square foot spread with more than six bedrooms and bathrooms, fireplaces, a pool, and parking for more than 20 cars, according to a real estate listing cited by the magazine. Look, justice. Justice doesn't carpool. Everybody's got to have their own parking spot. And by the way, do you think that anybody in like a Toyota Tercel or a, I guess they don't make the uh, Honda Escort anymore, but anybody in a normal person's car, Dodge Neon, is going to be rolling into this million, multi-million dollar pad that BLM bought for themselves where they said they wanted to film videos. They filmed it. They just didn't tell anybody they own the house. Uh, do you think they're going to be rolling in carpool style? No, everybody's going to drive themselves. You need parking spaces for 20 cars. What are, you, what are we, uncivilized that we can't everybody? They probably have a valet when they have parties. Six million bucks in the name of justice for 6,500 square feet so they could film YouTube videos, allegedly. Where are these YouTube videos? Where are they? Huh. It's weird. Where are they? These leftists always claim, no, I was doing it for the good of the charity. Can you point to any good it did for the charity? Well, you're a racist for asking that question. Okay, I don't care. <laughs> I honestly have lost all concern for any of all of these leftists and what they want. I just love the irony and the hypocrisy. Now, I wanna, it's not just the, uh, the BLM leaders who are conning everybody, although they did a hell of a job of it. It, they, it was so obvious, such a con job. Like, how, how dense do you have to be to, um, to fall for the BLM thing? I, I just, I don't get it. Oh, no, 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 black lives matter. Meanwhile, they're, they're ignoring the number one killer of black men. Do they care so deeply? But they don't care. They don't care. They never gave a damn. They never did. They never will. It was about the money. They got the money, and now they've all sort of disappeared into the ether, and will any investigation turn up what happened to the tens of millions of dollars? Probably not. Is anybody serious? Is Merrick Garland pursuing this in the name of justice? No, no. He wouldn't do that. But liberals fail up, and they get rich doing it. You had Jamie Harris in there. They failed Senate candidate nobody'd ever heard of. They thought, oh, there are polls. He's going to win. He's going to beat. I think it was Bill Burr. Oh, man. And then he, he didn't even come close. He didn't even come close. That's what's funny about it is these, these leftists, they get really upset, uh, really excited. Oh, my goodness. It is going to be a huge victory and upset for Jamie Harrison as he runs for Senate. It's going to be awesome. You got to love it. Oh, boy, howdy. And then he doesn't. He loses. And you go, how did that happen? Well, it's because you believe the press. 
you believe the press. <laughs> That's your problem. You believe the media rather than the reality, rather than the polls, rather than anything else that's going on. You believe the press. Oh, he was running against Lindsey Graham. That's right. He was going to beat Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham got 54.4% of the vote, and Jamie Harrison got 44.17% of the vote, which is a 10-point drubbing. He wasn't even close. It's pathetic. And the Democrats looked at that and said, well, what are we going to do? I got an idea. This guy... He'd raised more money or it was one of the one of the most expensive races ever. He'd raised a ton of money and just set it all on fire. Just set it all on fire. It was it was a fundraising record. He raised one hundred and nine million dollars because they're going to beat Lindsey Graham. Oh, we're going to get him. Get, get, get. They are suddenly laughing like they were Roscoe P. Coltrane. We're going to get him. Get, 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 get. And he got his ass handed to him. But they had built him up, and so many Democrats had given this guy money in this futile exercise. It wasn't even close. 250,000 votes separated him. And they said, well, we can't just you know, kiss him off. We've got to do something. We told our donor base that this guy was a rising star and worth their money to the tune of $109 million. We can't just say, oopsie, sorry about that. So what did they do? They made him the chair of the DNC. And it hasn't worked out all that well. The same spark that caused him to lose in humiliating fashion <laughs> for the Senate run is, um, well, it worked out that it just didn't work out for him. He's not being a particularly productive chair of the Democratic Party. Personally, though, he's making money. Because, as I said, liberals fail up and get rich doing it. That brings us to the governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. This is from the Associated Press. When Democrat Stacey Abrams first ran for Georgia governor in 2018, her lackluster personal finances and a hefty bill from the IRS gave Republicans fodder to question how she could manage a state budget when she struggled with her own debts. As she launches a second bid this year, that's no longer an issue. Now, you've got to love the framing there. Republicans made fun of her uh, economic incompetence. But boy, howdy, she's got the last laugh now. Not, hey, this person whose only claim to fame is having run for office and lost and then denied having lost is now filthy stinking rich. What's that about? How does that happen? No, they're not interested in that angle. It's about Republicans. Abrams now says she's worth $3.17 million, according to state disclosures filed in March. That's compared with a net worth of $109,000 when she first ran four years ago. Her rapid ascent into millionaire status corresponds with her rise in national politics. Now, who is responsible for her rise. And now rise in national politics, most people, well, Republicans, have to win their way to national prominence, right? Isn't that the way it works? You have to win your way to national prominence. And that national prominence is usually couched as infamy, right? Think Ron DeSantis. Think Christy Nome. Think Greg Abbott. They are nationally prominent conservative governors who actually won their races. 
And every single time they are referred to, no matter what the story, they only write stories about controversial actions, uh, bigoted, this, that, and the other. Oh, man, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing the other thing. It is always in a negative light. Stacey Abrams lost by more than 50,000 votes. I think it was 55,000 votes. Claiming that 50,000 people were disenfranchised black people and they were gonna, she was going to get all the votes. All of them. Which, if you're playing the home game, means she still would have lost by 5,000 votes. But that doesn't matter. She refused to concede to this day, and she is a hero for it. And she has been making the rounds, making speeches to left-wing activist groups and corporations because of it. Speeches, her speaking fees, are between 50000 and $100,000. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Abrams was also paid more than $700,000 over three years as executive director of the Southern Economic Advancement Project, an affiliate of the Roosevelt Institute that seeks to improve economic equity in the South. Yeah, economic. how much economic equity was, uh, was assuaged by giving her almost a quarter million dollars a year? Anybody? Anybody want to guess? No, 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 no. Seth Burnham, an Abrams campaign spokesman, said she gave 37 paid speeches in 2021, including a 12-stop fall tour of standalone appearances. She's written or co-written or reissued six books since 2019, with another reissue on the way later this year. Yeah. She's capitalizing on her fame. Her income spiked to $3.65 million in 2021. Isn't that nice? Did your income spike that much? If you gave to Stacey Abrams, you're a fool. It's amazing how this works out. Abrams, who last year released a business book with longtime business partner, also reports investment in a number of companies. Some are long holdings, including Now Account Network Corporation, which finances businesses to, uh, by buying invoices. Abrams, in no, doesn't that sound like uh, one of those payday lenders or whatever? I'll pay you pennies. You're owed $5,000. This account is in arrears. I'll give you $2,000 for it. Uh, well, they owe me 5000 Yeah, but I'll give you 2000 You can have nothing or $2,000. And they go, all right, well, I guess I'll take $2,000. And then you aggressively pursue the people who owe $5,000 so you can get $3,000 in profit. That's how it works. Now, how do you harass? You harass these people. That's how you get them to pay. Democrats decry these sorts of things, those evil bill collectors, for example. But when the Democrats are the bill collectors, they don't mind. They don't care. They don't give a damn <laughs> because they're frauds. <sighs> Abrams also had, now this is before, $96,000 in student loan debt and $83,000 in accumulated credit card debt in 2018. How do you get that, that to that point? Who knows? It doesn't matter. It's gone. She's made more than $5 million over the past four years. Five million bucks off of losing. So now she's in the red or in the black with $3.17 million. It's good to be a corrupt Democrat, isn't it? Keep giving to her nonprofits, ladies and gentlemen. She doesn't want to have to dip into her own pocket to pay for that meal. Not Stacey Abrams. No way. I'm looking at the Twitter machine and I see this video of Noam Chomsky. God, Noam Chomsky does not look good. No, now, Noam Chomsky is, is old. 
Noam Chomsky kind of makes uh, makes Joe Biden look good, I guess. Maybe they should get <laughs> to uh, somewhere near him. How old is Noam Chomsky? Noam Chomsky is 93 years old. Holy cow. Anyway, in the quote in the video is allegedly Noam Chomsky says, quote, we're approaching the most dangerous point in human history due to climate change and the threat of nuclear war. Okay. You're like, dude, that is, you're not, you, you, you look like you claim the planet is. All right. Let me just say, you look like how you claim the planet is. But that's neither here nor there. The environmental nut jobs out there who believe things like that coming out of the mouths of Noam Chomsky are legion. I have audio here from the UK. It is some activist in the UK named Hannah from a group called Just Stop Oil. It's a little bit long. It's a little bit on the long side, but I want you to hear the whole thing just to illustrate how ingrained when it takes, and you want to talk about grooming, you want to talk about, it's grooming in politics, not sexual grooming, it's grooming in politics. This is the result of grooming. Now, it's not every child, it's very few children, but you don't need every child. The Nazis were a very small percentage of the German population, yet they managed to enforce their will on the people. A very small group of people committed to a cause, even an evil cause, especially an evil cause, can wreak all sorts of havoc on a country, on a society, on a civilization. So I want you to hear what Hannah has to say and what she's convinced herself of well, she hasn't convinced herself of it. What she has been convinced of, she's young, she's in her late teens, early 20s, whatever it is, she's not old. But she has been terrorized and is terrified about what's happening to the planet because she has been lied to and indoctrinated, groomed, if you will, by people with a political agenda. Boy, it has taken. She's chained herself to some pipes and is record. Somebody's recording this video. And I guarantee you the people who indoctrinated her, the people who organized whatever this thing is, whatever, just stop. They're probably like the BLM activists sitting there figuring out which mansion to buy next while these young suckers go out and perpetrate their frauds. But that's neither that's time for that's another time for that listen to activist hannah talk about the devastation of the planet and what the what she's doing i'm hannah um i'm currently locked on in the pipework of the ceiling of the fuel loading bays at navigator fuel terminal i'm with 20 other young people who are up here with me who are terrified of their futures i'm so scared this is obscene obscene i'm 23 and the only way that people will listen to me is by locking myself to the pipework of a fueling station boris johnson is signing the death sentence of our future um he's a, at the moment subsidizing 25 million pounds a day of taxpayer money into new oil sites while we're in the biggest cost of living crisis every drop of new oil is signing the death sentence of children in the global south and the children that I want to have one day. My message is that they can take away my liberty. They can take away my freedom. They can choose 
to ignore the alarm we are sounding on the climate crisis, but they cannot take away our courage. They can't take away my courage. They can't take away my courage to put my body on the line for every young person who has been betrayed by our government, for every young person in the global south who is dying from extreme heat, drought and famine, for every young person in the UK who is freezing to death in fuel poverty and having to choose between heating and eating. So they can take our liberty, but they won't take my courage to say no to new oil and gas. We're not going to die quietly. And I plead you to not be a bystander, to join us in saying no new oil. No one must be left behind. Is this terrible? terrible? This is very instructive, this video, this audio. It's in my Twitter feed if you want to see it. The delusions there. This is how they connect people. This is how they con people. This is how they groom people, if you will. You're a hero if you do this. You're not. You're part of the problem if you don't. It's a binary choice. It's weird. In certain circumstances, the left acknowledges binaries. They create them, as a matter of fact, manufacture them out of nothing. But they do it. Now, gender? No, no, no. Gender is a full rainbow spectrum. It's a full wheel. But uh, good and bad? No, no. When it comes to our agenda, it is a binary choice, period. And she's sitting there. You cannot take away my courage. I'm so courageous. She walked into a business, she's under it or whatever, she's somewhere in the bowels of it, and chained herself to some pipes. She chained herself to some pipes. That's not courage. It's a protest. It's, it's asinine, whatever. You can call it a lot of things, but it's not courage. What courage is it exemplifying that she's going to get arrested and released a little bit. She'll be cheered by the left-wing media over there in the UK, and she'll be she'll get you know one one thousandth the attention of a Greta Thunbergler, but she'll be cheered as a hero for this. It's not courage. It's not courage in any way, shape, or form. Her body is not chaining herself to a thresher like my. I will not move. You're going to have to cut my body up. No. The police are going to have to go down there. They're going to have to go down there with bolt cutters. They're going to cut the handcuffs off of her. Then they're going to take her down to the station. They're going to book her. And then they're going to release her, probably without bail. And she'll be back with uh, her boyfriend or her thruple or whatever the hell she has going on in her personal life by the time the sun goes down. But you hear her tell it, she's a hero. She's out there. She's bravely standing up for you, for everybody else. That is a result of brainwashing. Brainwashing that took. Now, people who are easily susceptible to brainwashing, they don't require a lot of soap to wash that brain. Let's just say there's not a whole lot going on there. It's a really quick, uh, quick scrub. So this is how they indoctrinate. This is how they groom. Throughout her education, I guarantee you there were teachers going, the environment, the environment capitalism is destroying the environment. We're not going to be able to live. It's unsustainable. We're all going to die. It's the same sort of garbage they've been teaching for 30 years. It's just that it hasn't happened yet. They've three cycles of 10 years and we're all going to die. But it's ticking in more and more with people because more and more teachers are getting on board with the indoctrination, with the grooming, if you will. And so you've got little Hannah there. Thank God it doesn't take in everybody. It takes in very few cases, but you have to remember 
that very few people committed can commit horrible, horrible acts in the name of what they've determined to be righteousness. They can commit awful, heinous affronts to liberty and life in the name of what they think is righteous. So you can laugh at Hannah, and you should. But you got to keep an eye on her, too, because they ain't stopping. They're coming for you. <sighs> Time isn't stopping either. We're out of it for today. But fear not. We'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. I appreciate you listening. Thanks. See you tomorrow.